Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Chapter number nine, Acts chapter number nine. I'm going to do a lengthy reading tonight, but I'm only going to have you stand for the first nine verses. All right, then I'll allow you to be. Nine verses is not long. Let's break off Psalms 119 and go at that for a while. Amen. Acts chapter number nine. I'm doing, folks, I'm doing this for your benefit. Because somebody might not have come here and read Acts 9 this week for Wednesday night Bible study. And you might not even remember what Acts 9 is about. So I'm doing this for your benefit so that you can go along in my car with me as I start to drive. Okay? <laughs> Amen. Acts 9, verse number 1. The Bible says in Saul... Yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city. It shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. Amen. We are continuing in our Acts series. This is part number 22, if anybody's interested. I'm talking to us tonight about God works at both ends. God works at both ends. Bear with me tonight because I almost feel just a little preach in my spirit. And so I don't know what might happen here in the next few moments. But uh, this is Bible study, but it might become Bible proclamation. Amen. Hallelujah. God works at both ends. Let's pray and I'll let you be seated and I'll continue reading my text. Lord Jesus, I come to you this evening. I'm thankful, Lord God, for each and every individual here. I pray, Lord, you would anoint our minds and our hearts, God, to be receptive to your good word. God, that it could work out, Lord, something within our lives. Grant us understanding tonight, God, but also, Lord, that we would apply, Lord Jesus, what we hear and understand in our personal lives. And I'll thank you and I'll praise you for it in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. And the church say amen. 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 You may be seated. Again, my subject matter is God works at both ends. Continuing with verse number 10 for all help for everybody in this place and there was a certain disciple at this damascus named ananias to him said the lord in a vision ananias and he said behold i am here lord 
The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will shew him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And everybody say amen. amen. God works at both ends. Acts chapter number 9 is recording for us in the verses that I read to you the conversion of Saul from Saul into Paul. It speaks to us about his baptism. It speaks to us the intent of Ananias coming, not just for the sake that his natural eyes would be made open, but also that he would be filled with the Holy Ghost. And we see this story of Saul's conversion two other times in the book of Acts. We see it in chapter 22 and in chapter 26. Both of those times is whenever Paul, Saul who became Paul, who was relaying himself what happened concerning his own conversion story. He told his story uh, to Felix. He told his story to the king of Agrippa of what God had did in his own personal life. Whenever we read Acts chapter number 9 and the opening verse of Acts chapter number 9, it is in contrast, folks, if we really read it, it is in contrast to the previous chapter. Because I know it's been a long time, but back whenever we studied chapter number 8, chapter number 8 conveyed to us that there was persecution that was happening to the church at this time. And there was a ringleader of that persecution whose name was Saul. The Bible talks about in Acts 8 how Saul was uh, causing all this havoc. The Bible plainly tells, says it like that. All of this havoc in the churches. And while persecution was going on and the church was having all kinds of things happen through the hand of Saul with his persecuting, ring-leading uh, conspiracy, if you will, against the church, the Bible also told us in Acts 8 that revival was happening in the church that the regions beyond the city of Jerusalem such as Samaria and in the desert between Jerusalem and Gaza that there was revival that was taking place yet whenever we read the beginning verse of Acts chapter number 9 we learn that we learn that in spite of the persecution all right Acts 8 we learn in spite of the persecution and in spite of Saul doing what he was doing that there was revival. Then we come to Acts chapter number 9. And it contrasts all of that by saying. 
and Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Saul was still yet, in spite of the revival that the church was having, that was in spite of the persecution, Saul just went on doing what he had been doing. He went on persecuting the church. He went on breathing threatenings and slaughter against the disciples and those that were calling upon the name of the Lord. The Saul that we read in Scripture and have already studied that stood at the stoning of Stephen, this Saul that made havoc of the church, this Saul that in spite of revival is still yet now threatening and also slaughtering the disciples of the Lord. So in other words, what we learn from the Bible and learn from Scripture is this, is that persecution in Acts 8 didn't stop revival but in Acts 9, revival didn't stop the persecution either. The revival that the church was experiencing in Samaria with all those people that got the Holy Ghost and with the Ethiopian eunuch out in the desert that Philip went out and had conversation with and was baptized in Jesus' name, none of that changed Saul. Someone say amen. None of that changed Saul. And what, what I, 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 I'm trying to relate to us tonight through that simple idea is this. Although persecution, trouble, and problems can't stop revival, we can't fall into the mindset to think that just because we're having revival in the church, that's automatically going to impact people that don't know God. Because sometimes I believe we think if we're having a good time in here, then that automatically is going to be persuasive to those that are out there. That ain't necessarily the case. Just because they had a good night drinking on a bar stool and got drunk, that doesn't persuade me as a Christian to want to go get drunk. So I say amen. But the impact in Saul's life that would lead ultimately to his conversion wasn't the revival of Samaria. It wasn't the revival with the Ethiopian eunuch, but what would ultimately lead to his conversion would be that God dealt with Saul on one end and God dealt with a disciple about Saul on the other end. Someone say amen. And so the success then, the success of this plan in part, not totally, but the success in this plan in part was found somewhat in Ananias because we understand that the Lord spoke to Ananias. He said, Ananias. And Ananias was, this is very basic, sensitive to God. God spoke Ananias' name. And Ananias recognized the voice of God. He was sensitive to God because he heard his name when God called his name. We got to be careful to say that God never spoke to us or mentioned our name when it might not be anything along the lines that God hasn't said something. It might be, have we been sensitive enough to know it when it happened? And so he said, Ananias. So God spoke his name. He recognized it. And then look at the next words of Ananias in verse number 10. He says, behold, I am here, Lord. So not only are we dealing with a man that is sensitive, but we're dealing with a man that before he knows any of the details concerning his commission, he's obedient. Or, or available, rather. He's available. Here I am, Lord. You've called my name. I don't know what you want. 
What you want me to do, what you may be asking and requiring of me, but before you even give any of the details, I'm letting you know I'm available. Someone say amen. amen. And so then it goes to from that, that Ananias, man, he's a man. He starts telling the Lord some of his concerns. Starts telling God some of his concerns. Yet, in spite of the concerns he had, we read in Scripture, he still went on his way and was obedient to the voice of God. So what I'm saying tonight, it, it, it doesn't bother me if you have concerns. It just bothers me if we have concerns and that immobilizes us. It's okay to have concerns, but take your concerns back to God and still remain obedient to the commission that heaven might be placing upon your heart and life. Someone say amen. So he stated, Ananias stated all the facts about Saul. There's not one thing he said back to God that was incorrect concerning Saul. That he was indeed had letters and with authority behind them to take people that were calling upon the name of the Lord. And that many people, all of that was true concerning Saul. Amen. But he still was obedient to the instructions of heaven to go to Saul. Now look, even though the involvement of Ananias is here, Ananias' involvement though really is traced back a little further. It's traced back to God. All right? Because God was working on both ends of this spectrum. And a life will only be transformed by the power of God. God worked on Ananias and through Ananias for a purpose. God worked on the unsaved Saul and through Saul was dealing with him with purpose for a divine appointment, for a divine intersection. And life can only be transformed by the power of God. Jesus even said, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. Nobody can be saved or transformed without the power of God. For that matter, if we can just think of this tonight, Saul, Saul could in himself maybe even decide, you know what, I want to change. I, I, I want to turn my life around. I want to start going down a different path. Let me tell you, it didn't matter how much Saul wanted it, amen, it could not happen without God. Couldn't happen without God. And to Ananias, we already learned in Scripture, he was sensitive to God, right? He was available to God. He was obedient to God. Amen. But it still wouldn't happen with Ananias being available and sensitive and obedient if there wasn't the God factor. So I'd say amen. amen. The Bible says, Jeremiah 13, 23, Jeremiah preaching in a time in which everybody wasn't listening. He says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? He said, then may he also do good that are accustomed to do evil. So he had a, a rhetorical question that they answered in their minds. Can an Ethiopian change his skin? The answer, of course, would be no. Can a leopard his spots? The answer, of course, would be no. Then he says, then may ye also do good that are accustomed to doing evil. What he was basically saying then, you can't do good in and of yourself when you've been accustomed of doing evil. A person cannot just will something or desire something and it happens. Someone say amen. He further goes in Jeremiah 2.22. He says, For though thou wash thee with nitre and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me, saith the Lord God. In other words, God was telling Israel, Israel, 
You, 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 can, you can clean up all that you want to. You, you can use the most effective cleaners that are known today in your culture and in your society, but you will not be clean in my sight without me. Amen. Not be clean in my sight without me. In other words, tonight, folks, conversion cannot happen without God. Someone say amen. But we don't, you know, we're sometimes hard on Saul. We don't need to be too hard on Saul. Uh, he knows the law of God. He's, he spoke of himself in Corinthians that he was a Pharisee. He knows the laws of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that he was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel, who was a doctor of the law. And so he was taught by someone that was a doctor of the law. So Saul knows the law of God. And Saul had been taught, the Bible says, according to the perfect manner of the law of his fathers. He was well acquainted with that. And since Saul was, Saul was convinced, according to the law of God, that there was one Lord God. That's his Jewish heritage. Amen. Right? Hero Israel, the Lord our God, is one Lord. He was acquainted with that. And so we can't be too hard on Saul because he has this law teaching in his life. Amen. There is one Lord God. So as he's thinking and pondering this Jesus Christ character, he's thinking Jesus can't be the Messiah. For one, he's dead. (laughs) And furthermore, he died by hanging on the tree. Saul says, I remember as a boy learning that anybody that hangs on a tree is accursed. So Jesus can't be the Messiah because, well, he died by a tree. He's an accursed man. He's he's a cursed individual. Someone say amen. Let me tell you something. Curse has always been related with a tree all the way back at Genesis. (laughs) Amen. And so this idea that Saul has that Jesus, this Jesus that the people are preaching about and talking about, him being our Messiah or him being our God, that's absurd. I am a student of the law that's impossible it cannot happen and so with all these things in the mind of Saul he gets permission then from the high priests and letters to raid the synagogues of Damascus and I do mean synagogues they say there were anywhere to 30 to 40 Jewish synagogues in the city of Damascus amen and so there's a large population of Jews that are there and he's thinking I'm going to go in there and I'm going to clean house because I know these jokers are there and they're trying to convert and, and they are trying to convince people about this Jesus being the Messiah or this Jesus being God so I'm just going to take care of business because you'll remember because of the persecution people left Jerusalem and they were going all over the place they were scattering here there and yon and some had scattered even to Damascus so Saul says I'm going to Damascus I'm going to have the authority of the priest under my belt I'm going to get all these derelicts that are preaching Jesus I'm going to bring them back to Jerusalem as prisoners and men or women it don't matter to me and if we need to kill some we'll kill them off with their head And so as Saul was nearing Damascus, there was a light that came from heaven that he encountered, the Bible says. And it was in this encounter that Saul came to understand that this Jesus that they had been talking about, that he thought was dead, was indeed alive. That this Jesus that they had been talking about, that he said, no way, 
in my mind, there is one Lord, so there's no way that this Jesus could be him. And no way that he can be my Messiah. It's in this encounter that he realizes that this Jesus was indeed his God. The Bible says, Acts 9, verses 4 and 5, And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, to Saul, 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 why persecutest thou? Everybody say me. And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So the Lord at Saul, why persecutest thou me? And Saul, now know, what has Saul been doing? Who's he been persecuting? The church, right? The people preaching and teaching this stuff? These different groups that have been supporting Christ Jesus? Huh? And the Lord says, why have you been persecuting me? But he's been touching the church. The Lord told Saul, he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. So not only did Saul realize that this Jesus was alive and that this Jesus was the Lord, his God, he also understood this in that moment, that when you touch his people, you have touched him because his people are his body. Someone say amen. His people are his body. Folks, that should give us a great reminder how intricately tied Christ Jesus is to and connected to his church. So much so that if somebody touches his church, then they have, in, in essence, have touched him. Now that has dual impact for us tonight. That if you're being persecuted and tampered with by the world and they're trying to take advantage of you, they are not touching you and tampering with you without tampering with him. And he's not going to take a back seat to that. But there is something very empowering about that as well. That we live in a world that is lost and unsaved. And if they can just make contact with the church, they will get in contact with him. Someone say amen. amen. And so when you touch him, you have touched. Whenever you touch the church, you have touched him. Why do you persecute me, he said, whenever all that Saul had touched was the church, those preaching and propagating the gospel, amen, of Jesus Christ, amen. So I, I take heart tonight, church family. I take heart in that understanding, amen, because I understand that this whole world and the time and society that we're living in, it's going to wax worse and worse. And just be, be aware because there will be greater persecution as time draws near than there is even now. But my confidence is this. If they touch me, they're touching him. If the governing bodies want to legislate the church, they're trying to put legislation on him. <laughs> and he said in Mark, what did he say? Upon this rock, I build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. Because the gates of hell could prevail against him. You, hell can't come against them because they are my body. You can't touch them because you can't touch me. Oh, yeah. That's a little preaching part of my lesson tonight. 
when we consider the blindness. Now, you, you need to use the occurrences of this story in Acts 9, 22 and 26, almost like the harmony of the Gospels. That as they're told from different, uh, at different times, or there's information that might be told in one that is not told in the other. And so you kind of put them together to get this whole picture and whole story. Uh, with that being said, the Bible in some of the other accounts of this story seemed to indicate that Saul's blindness was due to the light that shined from heaven. Matter of fact, it says in one of the occurrences that he could not see for the glory of that light. As a matter of fact, the Bible said that his light, that light that was shining and that he saw was above the brightness of the sun. When's the last time you tried to look straight into the sun with no aid? He said this was above, this was beyond, this superseded that, and it was the glory of this light. Well, the Bible tells us just to correlate a few things here between the harmonies of the story. The Bible says that those that were with him saw the light as well. None of them, the Bible says, saw a man, but those that were with him heard a voice in chapter 9. The Bible says they heard a voice. Now, in chapter 22, the Bible says those that were with him heard not the voice. Now, all those people that like to write books about contradictions say, well, bless God, there's a contradiction in Scripture. Chapter 9, they, they heard a voice. In chapter 22, they heard not a voice. But the word heard in the Greek can also mean heard and also understand is another flavoring of the meaning of the word. For our correlation tonight, they heard a voice, but they didn't necessarily understand the voice. And this makes perfect sense if these men did not understand the Hebrew tongue, because the Bible tells us in the Acts 26 occurrence in verse number 14 in particular, that the voice from heaven spoke to Saul in a Hebrew tongue. So it's quite possible that while they heard a man speaking, they did not understand what he was saying if it wasn't speaking a language that they understood. So we don't have a contradiction in Scripture. What we have is a revelation. A revelation in Scripture. Amen. But here is, here is one of those peculiar things. Saul is now blinded. The men that are with him are leading him into Damascus bound by blindness. And what's so amazing to me when you begin to think about it, he's being led into the city bound by blindness, and he was supposed to be the man taking people out of the city bound hand and foot as prisoners. Huh. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? And so here he is. He's blind. Three days go by without sight. He doesn't eat, the Bible says. He doesn't, he doesn't drink. And then we come to the verse 10 onward type of setting I've already touched on just a little bit. Let me state this tonight. We take it for granted that as we read the Bible, we have the ability to see the whole story. We read about the children of Israel in bondage, and we take it for granted that we know they're going to get out. But for those that were living, they didn't know when. Job, we look at his story and think, man, yeah, he lost all of his livestock. He lost his sons and daughters. Big deal. He's going to have double at the end. Job don't know that. So we take it for granted that we are able to see this whole story. 
And so as a result of it, sometimes I read Acts chapter number 9, and I'm reading about Ananias, and, man, I'm urging on Ananias, and I'm cheering on Ananias. Amen. The moment that God speaks his name, I'm like, there you go, buddy. Hear the call of God. Go forth. Take dominion. Amen. All the stuff. Because I know the whole story. But Ananias didn't know the whole story. All he knew was that God called him's name. And even before he knew the details, he's saying, I'm available. Now, let me tell you something. You have to have some brass in your system to say yes before you know what it's all about. Or you got to have some faith in the one who's asking you. And so here's then this historical account of Saul. And we're learning then in our lesson here tonight that God is working at both ends. All right? Because here's the thing. He's already been dealing with Saul through his encounter in verses 1 through 9. All right? He's already been dealing with Saul. Already revelation now. Jesus is alive. He is his God. If you touch his church, you're touching him. He's got all this rep. Saul's already got all this revelation. And now Christ moves to his disciple and calls his name. And his disciple says, okay, Lord, I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do. How in the world do you do that, Ananias? I don't know if he's had other instances in his life. We really don't know much about Ananias. This is his first debut in Scripture. We don't hear of him before this. We don't see him again after this. This is his debut in Scripture. But here's something we can learn knowing the whole story. Are you ready? Ready for it? If God is dealing with you to talk to someone or witness to someone, it may be because he has already dealt with them to receive what you have to say. God spoke to Ananias after he had already been dealing with Saul. Someone say amen. Now, now look. There's other places of this in Scripture. There's one time in Acts chapter number 16, speaking of Paul now, who, who got converted in this chapter, but we're looking later on in his life. The Bible says that he was going to be going to Asia, but was forbidden of the Holy Ghost to go. Now, this is hard for some people to wrap their minds around. Paul's wanting to go to Asia to spread the gospel, to preach the word, to establish churches, and the Holy Ghost says no. Let me tell you, always trust the Holy Ghost. Always trust the Spirit of God. And just as a side note right now on that, just because God says no now doesn't necessarily mean no forever. But if he says no to something that should be right and appealing now, he has a greater purpose. We've lived by that time and it's just as important as God's will. And so... He said, no, now the Bible says in the same chapter, just another verse down, then that he felt like that he should go over into Bithynia, but the spirit forbade him. You almost start getting a complex that you thought you knew the voice of God, you know, and he says no, and then he says no again. What's going on here? But then later, the Bible says just a few verses further down that Paul had a vision, and he, he seen a man from Macedonia that was crying out to him and said, come help us. Oh, things are getting a little clear now why I wasn't supposed to be in Asia and why I wasn't supposed to be to Bithynia because Christ was going to send a vision that there's some help that's needed in Macedonia. And the Bible says he went to Philippi, which was the chief city of Macedonia, 
And look what the scripture reads in Acts 16 and verse 13. And on the Sabbath, he, we went down. This is Paul speaking that they went down. Amen. Or Luke, that is. Luke and Paul and those that are with him. We went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women, plural, which resorted thither. And a certain woman, one among the many, named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, look at the next phrase, whose heart the Lord opened. God had already been working on Lydia. And he said, Paul, you can't go to Asia right now. And you can't go to Bithynia right now because I already got a project in Macedonia for you. Paul gets down by the river where prayer's being made and there's this woman whose heart the Lord had opened and that she attended, she listened, she gave heed to the things which were spoken by Paul and the results is in 15. And when she was baptized, and when she was baptized in her household, she besought us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful, come into my house, so on and so forth. What I'm saying is this, God may have and be orchestrating something for you because he's already dealt with somebody ahead of schedule. He's already worked on that end and now he's working on your end. Paul, you can't go to Asia right now. You can't go to Bithynia because I already worked something out on this end and now I'm trying to get you there for a divine encounter and appointment because when you leave, she's going to be baptized. Her family's going to be baptized because I've already massaged her heart to receive what you got to say. God works on both ends. Someone say amen. I wanted you at Philippi. I wanted you at Macedonia. There is a woman there among others. I've prepared her heart. She's open to receive your word. She received his word. Baptized. Paul didn't have to fret over Asia, I think, after that. If he was worrying about Asia, I know he didn't know the whole story, but if he was worrying about Asia, he's like, Phew, I'm glad I listened to God. And again, just because God says no now does not mean no forever because in Acts 19, we read in the word of God how almost all of Asia heard the word of God by the preaching of Paul. And is it not the seven letters in the book of Revelation 2 and 3 that's written to the churches of Asia? God is so marvelous. He can pick up a soul and household in Macedonia and still get Asia in for the boot. Just by you being obedient to the voice. Someone say amen. And so what I'm meaning in that tonight is this. It's important for us, like Ananias. And like Paul, to be sensitive to what the Spirit is wanting in the moment. It's important to make ourselves available. It's important for us to be obedient to where the Spirit's directing. Even if that seems contrary to where we want to go. Several years ago, whenever I first came home, some may remember this. Most of you probably forgot. Maybe all of you. Reminder. <laughs> Several years ago when we first came home, Brother Mason, I talked about, I was preaching one time. So you know for sure you probably forgot it. <laughs> I was preaching one time about how normally before a baby is born, we usually come up with a name. Normally, I'm saying normally, I know 
people do different things, but normally you come up with a name prior to its birth. As a matter of fact, oftentimes you start calling it by its name as it's in the womb before it's ever born. You start referencing it by a name. And in that setting of me preaching that, Sister Sheila, I talked about how I believed that we could ask God to lay names on our hearts and minds of people he wanted to be saved. Even if we didn't know them, he could deposit a name on our heart and mind to pray for them. Not born in the church yet, you might not even know who they are, but you just got a name. That he has the ability of naming them before they're even born. And he did in many instances, literally in the Old Testament. He named some before they were ever born. That we could do that before they were ever born. And we could pray for their salvation. We could pray for the blessing of their family and their households before we ever met them. We could pray for them. I told you. I said, wouldn't it just be marvelous for someday someone walk through the door and say, this is my name. And you're like, buddy, I've been praying for you for the past five years. Now, all those years ago, folks, God laid a name on my heart during prayer one morning here at the church. The name was Stephen Steve McNeese. For a long time, this is back 2007 era. For a long time, I prayed for Stephen McNeese. I didn't know anybody by the name of Stephen McNeese. But I believe God placed it on my heart. And so I would just pray for Stephen. I pray for his welfare. I pray for his salvation. I prayed for his family. I didn't even know if he had any. I mean, surely he had family to get to this world, but I mean family of his own. I prayed for his family. I just prayed for him. And so I did that for quite some time. And over the years, I stopped. I stopped. Stopped praying for him until something happened here more recently. My wife and I were eating on a Monday at El Rodeo in Princeton, just she and I. We were standing at the checkout counter. I was looking at all the stuff that they had on the wall, you know, back behind the checkout counter. She was paying and being such a wonderful lady and taking care of her husband. And I was just looking at all the stuff uh, that was back there behind the counter. And as I was looking, they had this, they probably still have it up, they had this uh, Princeton Police Department picture of officers in the Princeton Police Department. So I'm just looking at those faces, and I was just looking at the names and coordinating. And as I was reading along there, I came across a name, Steve McNeese. And I thought to myself, that sounds so familiar. I was standing there. I said, man, that name sounds familiar. And as we're going out the door, I just asked my wife to see if I was second-guessing myself. I said, do you remember that name I used to pray for? And she remembered very quickly. I kept his name on a, a digital post-it on my computer, so it was constantly before me. Anytime I had my computer on, which is a lot, because I do a lot of study, Stephen McNeese was always there. She said it was Stephen McNeese, and I told her, I said, you ain't going to believe this. I said, but here within the city of Princeton is a Stephen McNeese. I said, his picture is back behind the counter. Well, honey, she went back in there. Got out her telephone and put it up there and took a picture, and we looked him up on Facebook and become stalkers. <laughs> he's got a wife and he's got a family. He knows in person. And so when I, I picked Stephen back up, by the way. He's never been to this church. I don't know him personally. I don't know him indirectly. But I know God put him on my heart. And I know that 11 miles is at no distance to get to church. Listen to me. If God can lay Saul, although he was quite known, if God can lay Saul on the mind of Ananias, 
What would keep God from laying a name of someone known or unknown to you on your heart? Now, not only that, and this is where this becomes very, I think, sobering. Not only that, but this text tells me in Acts 9 how Jesus told Ananias that Saul had a vision also of a man named Ananias. God, the vision that God gave Saul wasn't just generic. There will be a man, but there will be a man named Ananias that's going to come into your life. He's going to lay hands on you so you can receive your sight. What I'm saying is, while you may get a name that's laid upon your heart, God very may well have put your name on there. God may have put your name upon their heart. And when the, I'm saying when, not if, and when the encounter happens, woo, and you say my name is, and they say their name is, both of you are going to know that something is going on in the heavenlies. Something is God is prowling the earth, seeking to wish to save the souls of men. And he's not embarrassed to share names if he needs to in order to get the job done and bring validity to the encounter. God works on both ends. Someone say amen. It can't happen without God, but he wants to use us. Hmm. Thought about speeding while I've been in Princeton here lately to see if I can get caught. By Steve McNeese. I'm jesting. I really haven't thought that. Thought about robbing a bank. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> just joking. Now, here it is now. Look at it. So, Saul, we understand in his one through nine verses, Saul, he heard the voice from heaven, right? He heard the voice of God. But God still valued it important and necessary to use the voice in the hands of a man. Saul has already heard the voice of God. But God's seen value and importance for this whole switch around to employ the voice in the hands of a man. God could do it all by himself. But he would much rather do it through the rest of his body. To employ us in this endeavor. Now Saul had a vision. We've already shared that. Ananias, this man named Ananias, is going to lay his hands on him and receive his sight. That was the extent of Saul's vision. A man named Ananias coming in, laying his hands on him, he's going to receive his sight. Ananias' though vision was a little bit further. He envisioned a Saul that was praying. He envisioned a Saul that was seeking. 
He had the vision of a, listen to me, he had the vision of a saved Saul. He had a vision of Saul's real purpose in life. Listen, it was Ananias' flesh that considered the lost Saul. It was Ananias' flesh that considered Hebrews' threatenings. It's Ananias' flesh that said he has authority to take some into captivity. But it was his vision that seemed to save Saul. It was his flesh that seemed Saul as he was. But it was in the spirit he seemed Saul as he could be. It was in his flesh he seen Saul as his fallen state. But it was in the spirit he seen Saul for what his life was intended and purposed for. What I'm telling you today, we could sit around all day and get little groups together and talk about people we know that's unsaved and talk about the state they are in and how far they have went and how God's going to have to stoop down low to get them. But if we'll go into the realm of the Spirit, we'll start talking about them as though they were already saved and what they could do in the kingdom of God and how God's going to use them. Someone say glory. What I'm asking for us to do as a church, as the body of Christ, is God give us some visions of saved people. I'm not talking about already saved. I'm talking about lost people, but looking at them as though and envisioning them as though it's already happened. Someone say amen. Again, this is the only only place we ever read of Ananias. And interestingly enough, it's his debut of being involved and being instrumental in the salvation of his soul pulled out of obscurity into light because he was involved in the salvation of a soul. Now, look, what the Lord told Ananias. The Lord told Ananias, am I doing okay? I forgot to stop my watch. <laughs> anyway, the Lord told Ananias, he said, he is a chosen vessel. He's talking about this guy wreaking havoc, standing at the feet and the, the, the place where Stephen was stoned and had the garments. He is a chosen vessel. Now, in your flesh, if God would come to tell that to you about some people, you'd be like, God, you got the wrong person, you know, wrong address. You might have, can you check the record one more time? Chosen vessel, really? <laughs> he is a chosen vessel, this persecuting, consenting to the death of Stephen Havoc in the church. Chosen vessel, Saul. Everybody listening? Listen to me, though. Everything, though, changes. When you start to see as God sees. Paul tells Timothy, his son in the gospel. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am chief. Listen, folks. If Paul, who was Saul, claims to be the chief of sinners. And he was saved. Surely anybody. Go on and put in your, because you, everybody has the list, like done too much, gone too far. Paul states that because he wants them to know, here's who I was, here's what I did, da, 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 da. Oh, by the way, Christ saved me. As everybody thought he was the 57 model Christian, he said, wait a minute, let me show you where the rust and the dents were at. Someone say amen. 
And so the Bible says that Saul would bear, bear Jesus' name. Look, he said he's a chosen bell. He's going to bear my name to the Gentiles. He's going to bear it to kings. He's going to bear it to the, to the children of Israel. And Paul did all those things in the book of Acts. He did. He ministered to the Gentiles. He ministered to the Jews. He was brought before kings greatly because of his incarceration for ministering the gospel. He was brought before kings and was able to speak and bear the name of Jesus. He was going to bear the name of Jesus. And let me tell you, in that day and even in this day, but particularly in that, that was no easy matter. He was going to suffer greatly on behalf of Jesus. And that's a sharp contrast because he used to make people suffer because of Jesus. Now he was suffering for the very thing he caused others to suffer for. Just a little while longer. Y'all doing all right? Yeah, you good. You're looking good. I'm up here sweating, so you're good and good. Now, here's the prayer of Ananias. Remember, the vision of Saul was a man named Ananias going to come in, put his hands on me, and I'm going to receive my sight. That was the extent of it. But the actual prayer of Ananias that we read in verse number 17 was for, yes, as Saul had seen, for him to receive his sight and to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Here's a little note you need to jot down in your Bible. When you pray for a sinner to be healed, you should pray for their salvation as well. I'm not just here that you would receive your sight. I'm here that you'd be filled with the Holy Ghost. Because listen, folks, it is more tragic to enter hell whole, complete, without any malformity, without any sickness and disease, than it is to live our life in the present maimed. You hear what I just said? That's what that's Bible. That's what the scripture says. Yeah, I, I offend you. You pluck it out. If it's your hand cut off, why? Because it'd be better for you to enter hell. It'd be better for you to live this life maimed than to enter into hell whole. So, uh, and we do it all the time. I, I know we do. I've, I've heard Bishop do it and me myself. Someone come forth, even stand in for somebody that is just grossly sick in their body or disease. And yes, we pray for that. But I've heard us say, God, even more so than their physical healing, their salvation. Because if this disease takes them to death, I don't want them to go to death without knowing you and have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So we don't just pray for their healing. Amen. We pray for their salvation. James likewise brings this all biblical into context. James 5.14. We use it. Sometimes we have people to come for the prayer. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Because James knew that the same power it takes to heal the sick is what's needed to forgive sin. Let me preach an old message along those lines. All right, can I preach an old message to you just real quick? I'll make it five minutes. They came to, Jesus came to the one uh, man that was struck to his bed. He said, what did he say? He said, your sins are forgiven. Well, who does this man think he is to forgive sins, blah, blah, blah? He says, well, which is easier to say? Thy sins are forgiven thee or take up thy bed and walk. It wasn't about the phrases. It wasn't about the words that were involved. But whenever you say 
take up your bed and walk, somebody that wasn't able to, and that happens, man, everybody knows that. That what he said happened. There's truth. There's power. He could do it. If you say thy sins be forgiven, there's nothing just saying your sins be forgiven. There's no, no, there's no confirmation. There's nothing that really, okay, did it happen? Did it? I guess, oh, faith, okay, it happened. He says so that you, this is what he said. He says so that you'll know that Christ has power on earth to forgive sins. He says, I say to this man, take up your bed and walk. And he got up and walked. It says, I have power to bring healing to his body. And by that, you know, it's the same power that can forgive sins that you can't see per se anything done. But it... Honey, there's people in the world today that's been healed of cancer, but they don't have salvation. They've had families, they've had their fevered brow taken care of, but they don't have salvation. We got to pray for their healing, but we must also pray in the same moment for their salvation. They're having healing crusades all over America and people are getting healed, but nobody's getting saved. That's not the will of God. God wants them whole in both senses of the word, physically and spiritually. God works on both ends. I'm closing, Brother Mason, you can come. You can help provoke me to that end. Saul was blind. Okay? He's blind. Think for a blind person. Now, it's three days, mind you, that been his whole life, but for three days. Think how encouraging it was when Ananias showed up. And listen to me. I want to share a little bit. Some, how encouraging it was for Saul, who was blind. To not only hear the voice of Ananias, but to feel his hands. Because he laid hands on him. We have a blind Saul. Ananias is there, but he's not just hearing what he says. He's feeling his hands on him. How encouraging, impactful that must have been on Saul. That was a literal blindness, but we are dealing in a society of spiritual blindness. Society that we live in, Paul and Corinthians spoke to us that the God of this world have blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest, why? The light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them talk to you tonight you can stand with me I'll talk to you though here as you stand we often succeed with them hearing our voice be warned be fed be saved but they need to feel our hands if I can make it even more clear they need to hear our voices in the context of also feeling our hands the naked need to hear be warmed as they feel hands putting a cloak around them the hungry need to hear 
be fed as we share a meal with them for their present needs. The lost need to hear be saved as we put a hand of gentleness and consolation and concern upon their shoulder and say we can do this together because you and I both know God's been working on both ends of this scenario. What that comes down to is this. You can say all you want to say, but if your hands aren't involved, there's a certain level of meaningfulness that's going to be void and vacant in that scenario. I can climb on top of this pulpit and yeah, I tell you what, there's a bunch of people out here off from Manny to get saved. Tremendous. Great job, Pastor. But they need to hear a voice while being touched. As you've heard me before, you can't do that at a distance. you got to get close to people. I can stand at a great distance and bellow out something and you could hear me. But I can only touch you if I'm in close. God, let the first apostolic church not just be a voice that is heralding in our community, but let it be a body that is touching the people it's talking to. These altars are open tonight. God works at both ends. You could come to this altar tonight and God could lay a name on your heart. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.